Well, it's something we always talk about on the show is that you can't look after other people if you don't look after yourself first. 100%. You're right. 100%. And it's a military thing as well, you know. You you, you look after your weapon Mm. first because if your weapon doesn't fire, you're dead. Do you know what I mean? And if you don't look after you, you can't look after your mate on the left or the right of them. Do you know what I mean? And Mm. it's one in all in. Mental health. Mental health. Mental health. Welcome to the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast, where, just like it says on the tin, we straight talk mental health. I'm Cameron Clark, I'm a journalism student, and joining me is my father, Alan Clark, he's a psychotherapist. Alan, how's it going? All good, all good, Cam. Yeah, and this week we're straight talking men's mental health with James Boardman. James is a speaker, an author, a father of four, and James specialises in men's mental health, just like we'll be talking about today. Looking forward to that one. James, a former Royal Marine sniper. Um, He's going to take a lot of learning from that, so really looking forward to hearing him. Mm. What's been going on with you? I am quite exhausted. (laughs) Yeah, I'm guessing by the lulls there. It's a little, uh, that's a bit of a long pause. I better jump in here (laughs) and save him. (laughs) What has you you tired? Uh, We had a kind of going away thing for... One of the staff leaving work last night, so we kind of just hung around after work. So you're hungover? No, I'm not hungover. No, no. I oh, know you're fucking tired. 22. You're not hungover. No, no, I'm <laughs> tired. Full of beans. No, just more tired than anything else. Mm. Good so, night? Ah, uh, it was all right. It was good crack. Like, you know, just we don't we don't get to do it very often because we're all constantly working. So <laughs> getting getting 10 bartenders together is not usually the easiest thing in the world. Oh, Jesus. Pints were drunk, I presume. Uh, not by me, but uh, no, it was good. You're not a big drinker either, are you? No, no, not really. Yeah. Same but, as uh, no, I'm just, just a bit exhausted. <laughs> That's all. Cause we we <laughs> tend to record quite early. We do. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll I'll carry this one. I'll take I'll take the baggage on me dodgy back for once. <laughs> for once. <laughs> for once. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking cheeky. <laughs> So for anyone listening for the first time, this is, as Cameron said, the Straight Talk on Mental Health Podcast. I am a psychotherapist. My degree is in counseling psychotherapy and my master's is in child and adolescent psychotherapy. This is not a psychotherapy podcast. And you're going to find out that when you hear me talking and the shit that's going to come out of my mouth. In the particularly when he minutes. talks to me. Yeah, particularly when I talk to Cameron or anyone in general, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just it's not just you. It's not exclusive. I talk shit. To everyone. It's not a psychotherapy podcast. I just happen to be a psychotherapist and I happen to share that experience from my life and from my own clinical work in an effort to share the information with everyone else because, you know, we're trying to do our bit. We're trying to do our bit around mental health. Uh, this week and most weeks, we have a particular emphasis on, on men's mental health because they're fierce fucking fond of killing themselves. <laughs> Eight out of ten suicides in Ireland. So we try to reach as many men as we can, but we don't exclusively do that. We also chat to a lot of women because our, our demographic is pretty much always 50-50. So we try to give a voice to everyone that we can. James is going to give a voice around his experience of fatherhood, being in the Marines, being a sniper, growing up without a dad. Uh, after his own dad died so really really looking forward to to what he has to say if you want to check us out on any of the social media you can do that 
if you found us on Instagram, you found us under Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast or Facebook. You can get us on Twitter, STR8 Talking Pod. You can slide into our DMs. We don't mind that. We're cool with that. You can hit us up on the website, stmhpodcast.com, or you can email us at hello at stmhpodcast.com. That's if you want to tell us your story, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover, if you've got some feedback, anything like that, you can hit us up. We're all good to, we're all good to, to receive any of that. And we gratefully and graciously accept it all. Is that all right for you? That, did I carry enough for you there? Ah, let's leave yeah. the same. That's, that's fucking all unscripted as well, baby. <laughs> yeah, that was, been, off, that was off the top of the dome. doing it for like a year and a half. You've fucking done it enough times. <laughs> if you haven't no, remembered no, it by now, Peter there's something always, wrong with Peter you. Peter used to always do that, but he used to always the He always carried the, the intro bit. He was the he was the, the, the host and I was the portrayed as the quotation marks expert around psychotherapy so <laughs> so he always he always carried that bit um now i gotta fucking do it all it seems <laughs> well it's your podcast don't forget it's our podcast dickhead <laughs> <laughs> actually not my podcast <laughs> then it'll be the alan clark podcast <laughs> and they need someone to bounce off him. need a bit of banter what a, he what said that when he stepped out podcast. he said oh, i should do it on your own i was like i have no interest in that whatsoever like because <laughs> that just becomes a monologue Imagine just listening to me. Well, until until my <laughs> no name's on that. the graphic, it's your fucking name is on the graphic, dickhead. No, not not on the Instagram page. Oh, isn't it? No. All right, I must. Yeah, I have to change all of those. It, it's on some of them. I've added onto some of them. There were some of the ones I've changed. It's on the it's it's on the social media post this week. Don't so call you, me. You're there, yeah, yeah. You know what you're going to have to do now, though. What's you have to fucck start working, dickhead. Oh, no, hold on. I'm yeah. looking at this. It's not, not in the social media post. You're telling it me is. lies. No, it's no. not. I'm seeing Peter Dunn right there. Where? On the fucking graphic. Oh, that's on the that's on the logo. No, no, look at the post. Look at the look at the look at the post there for Paul. That's the one I'm looking at. Which one? What the fuck? How the the most recent one. Yeah. Oh it's on Oh, it's on the it's on the promo one. It's on the it's on the black one. Okay. Oh right, okay. He's looking at the most recent one. And it's on the video one, so I need, I need to change them other ones. Yeah, so, all right, I'll fucking let you off this week. <laughs> Next week, you're fucking doing a bit of work, <laughs> not just rocking up. You're going to be chasing guests. You're going to be getting people on. You're going to be doing all that Family shit. folk. <laughs> Don't forget, I work, I work more hours than you do. Uh, do you know? Would you like to bet I'm on good. that? Yeah. Yeah? Would you like to, would you yeah. like to put a bet on that? I would. Well, yeah. What time did you go home from work at last night? 10 o'clock. Yeah. I was 4 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you're on the fucking rip. No, I wasn't. You were I wasn't drinking. drinking. I wasn't drinking. I was serving. There were still customers. You were serving. Yeah. No, oh, I Jesus. wasn't drinking. Yeah. Well, on an average night, on an average day, and your little brother doesn't raise himself. Yeah, but who's fucking... Fu- Don't blame me because you had another <laughs> child. That's your <laughs> fault. <laughs> Jesus. Fucking parents. <laughs> They love said I have I had kids to raise. Yeah, it's not fucking fault you had kids. <laughs> fucking you could have got rid of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking beginning to regret that one now. <laughs> <laughs> fucking parents, your favorite thing in the world to give out about is your fucking kids. As if you didn't make them. Yeah, and fucking kids is your favorite thing to do is give out about your parents. That's the fucking cycle, man. Yeah, we didn't make the parents. That's what we do. You dragged us into the world. <laughs> None of us asked for it. Don't forget that. <laughs> Oh, you're a fucking snippy little bollocks when you're tired, aren't you? <laughs> oh, because all the sleep I normally get. 
doesn't make me tired. Yeah. Well, you're not a great sleeper anyway. No. I have I have a topic. Yeah, we are going to do a, an episode on sleep. Uh, I don't know if we can get a guest, but... I'm sure there's are, fucking somebody you can on get on it. We can, we can definitely cover a topic on sleep and how it, how it affects our mental health and stuff like that. I'm assuming we're cutting like, all of this part out. No, that's all the good stuff. That's Is the good it? Stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's the bit everyone loves, man. I keep telling you. He's not <laughs> fucking listen to me. That's the banter. That's what people, that's what people enjoy. Yeah. People love hearing you abuse me to the fucking ground. <laughs> so I'm here. James, James, like myself, got a do over. <laughs> he has all the older kids and younger kids, so he he will he will talk about his own experience of parenting mm. and what that's like. And if he has to put up with fucking dickheads like you, <laughs> scorpy little bollockses <laughs> or scorpy tall bollockses. <laughs> uh, yeah, really looking forward to really looking forward to chatting to to James. So a little bit tired, not not hungover, but no. what's what's been going on with you in the meantime? Well, I don't have COVID. Yeah, <laughs> you don't That's, have COVID. Congratulations! No, I know everyone was on the edge of their seats waiting for yeah. a response, teetering, no. yeah, teetering on the edge of their seats, going, "Ooh, does he have the COVID? Is yeah. he on lockdown? He well, didn't get no, it." I don't have COVID, thankfully. Good stuff. You were just tired. Well, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll call it that. Yeah, because no, yeah, you know what? Because you know what I have to do. I got to cut out all them fucking pauses in between your talking. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, working in practice, raising James, editing the podcast, chasing up, chasing up guests, cutting out your pauses because you're bollocks tired. Well, once again, whose fault is all this? <laughs> yeah, I need to accept responsibility for having children. For yeah, me. everything you <laughs> name there is of your own choice. <laughs> Fuck off! You start at the clinic. You yeah. had kids. You started yeah. the podcast. Um, the your work colleague were they badly affected with COVID, or do you know? Or no, so I you think were, for people that didn't hear last week, Cameron was close contact in work, and as we recorded last week, he was in isolation until he mm. got a got a test, and it also and wasn't, didn't help because, wasn't getting uh, his COVID vaccine that he was meant to get the next no, day, and it also kind of sucked balls because I was sick at the time as well. Yeah, so I had mm. convinced myself that I had COVID because I had it. Well, it was a bit under the weather. Mm. so while waiting for a test feeling sick it kind of gets into your own head that you do in fact have covid oh yeah yeah but no thankfully i didn't have covid i think i was just a bit under the weather mm. probably from being tired <laughs> yeah <laughs> the irony yeah but uh, geez i remember in the first lockdown and stuff like that um i know i certainly felt and i know a lot of other people did if you got a cold or you had a sore throat and you were you know, panic oh fuck covid fuck is that covid yeah oh fuck 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 if i got the covid yeah i think a lot of people were scared to get sick um, with that fear of your, your regular cold or your... That was it. Any, anyone had anything wrong with them they were just hiding it. Yeah. Sitting up in the room, fuck, I can't tell anybody about this. You sneeze yeah. once and oh, fuck me, you fucking COVID now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they go and infect other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you don't have the COVID. No, thank God. Good. Grateful for that. Yeah. Any, what else has been going on with you? Uh, that's, that's don't just say of, work you always just say work do something well, no, but, you tell you well, you're like, still it. kind of supposed to isolate after you get a test so I haven't really been able to do anything yeah so, but you got the all clear yeah but you're still kind of supposed to isolate even after a negative test you're not supposed to be oh really kind of zooming around too much yeah so I suppose you're not supposed to be zooming around too much anyway no but that's the other side <laughs> of it yeah so no I've kind of just been you know I go to work and then I come home mm. At least I'm working, you know, there's always a mask on my face and all, so I'm not, not too concerned at all. You're kind of supposed to restrict your movements anyway. Not yeah. not isolate, but certainly not be as free as you would normally. Yeah, well, 
if we are indeed free. Yeah. And that's not a giant philosophical question. No, we're <laughs> not. We're not COVID talking restrictions on Ireland yeah. <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> we're not quite talking like the Americans and how free they are. Yeah. And getting their cases multiplied by bazillions. Yeah. <laughs> in the southern states. Yeah, no. So it's I'm just... wearing no mask. Talking <laughs> about fucking freedom. Yeah. So now I'm just, just restricting my movements slightly. Oh, good man. Fair play to Responsible. Mm. Be responsible for your own health and the health of other people. Fair play to Yeah. Very at least until I'm vaccinated. <laughs> and then you're, oh no, you're not going to be a, what do we call it? A bioterrorist. You're going to be out licking yeah, everyone, no, I'm fucking s- breathing on everyone. Now when I fight people, I can spit on them without it being a, yeah. more than one crime. Just be assault. <laughs> Just assault, yeah. yeah. Just going out to beat people up. Yeah. <laughs> And spit on them without yeah, can, the fear of but, infecting them. Well, but don't forget, you can still you can still pass on COVID. You can still catch COVID mm. uh, after your vaccination. So people still do need to be responsible for that. Oh yeah, people can spit on me. <laughs> yeah, and and there's a less less of a chance of you dying or ending up in the yeah. ICU. So we need to we need to clarify for that for people for people that don't know. You can't just go around fucking willy nilly. Still, you still can't catch COVID, and you still can't. Please don't it, go so. around spitting on people. Yeah, unless they're into that, and it's consenting adults. You know, we're not here to judge. If that's what you're into, fire away. Um, that's that's up to you. But make sure both parties are okay with being spat unsolicited on. spitting. Isn't yeah, unsolicited. We do not condone that here. Same as the dick pics. You don't unsolicit. Wait to be asked, or wait for there's a there's an agreement between both parties, whether it's dick pics or spitting on each other. That's all you need to. That's mm. all you need to know. We do not condone unsolicited actions of no any kind. unsolicited. No unsolicited. We need to be very very clear around that. But if that other person gives you permission to spit on them, fucking have at it. Be the best spitter you can be. <laughs> that's that's my advice for this I week. I can't believe this is what we've come to. This you say that fat. every week. It's, when it's, are you going to start believing it? It's go, it's getting it's getting so frequent how often we tell people to spit on each other. <laughs> well, it's taken over from the Alan shit to bed this week. No, I fucking well, you didn't. Just, you just fucking brought it up now, so yeah. now it's, it's going back to that. That's because Ashley said it to me last night. She's yeah, like, because yeah, it's like you fucking you said it. I wasn't going to say it to anyone. And I said, then when you said it on the podcast, I was like, oh, yeah, you fucking had at it then, didn't you? Yeah. You went and told every member yeah, you of put your it on family. The fucking internet. Yeah. <laughs> Need to clarify for everyone checking in for the first time. I did not shit the bed. This yes, is relating. I did shit the bed. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> this is relating back to my birthday when my girlfriend stayed for the first time. I was like, oh, I'll make us, I'll make us dinner, homemade pizza, everything from scratch. I forgot mozzarella doesn't really agree with my stomach. So as I lay in the bed, with my girlfriend staying in my house for the first time, I had this very upset stomach and an overwhelming fear that I would shit the bed on top of her. Which uh, he did. I didn't. Do. I didn't. <laughs> but many guests that have come on have uh, have slagged me about, oh yeah, you shit the bed. <laughs> People that have listened to the podcast. No, I still still haven't shit the bed with no intentions. So, Maybe one day. Yeah, I keep my shit solely towards speech <laughs> and on this podcast. <laughs> And with people I see, and in clinical practice, yeah, but not the bed, <laughs> not the bed. It it comes out of. But you know, you know, humans are just one one tube. Like we're just a tube from your mouth to your ass. It's just a tube. <laughs> Seriously, your asshole is one the is the first thing to develop, and then all it is is the food comes in and goes out. We're just we're just oh, fancy tubes, fuck people. Me, how do people <laughs> listen to this? <laughs> So I need to get someone that actually fucking likes this podcast because because you clearly don't. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me! 
who sees a mental health podcast and they're like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to learn a lot. They listen to the first 20 minutes. We just spent five minutes talking about spitting on people, shitting the bed. <laughs> Not shitting how, the bed. <laughs> and how our asshole and our mouth are connected by one tube. And they keep the fucking fact. going. It's a biological fact. People may not be interested in the mental health side. They might want to hear what what show you should be talking this week. So, you know, we got to give got to give them something. This is gold, they man. This to is those gold. twenty minutes, and they're like, okay, they'll inform us on something eventually. I just have to power through. Yeah, don't worry. I change it up. You know, I fucking <laughs> you have to remember the other days when I've dropped the knowledge. Yeah, that, you know? that's true. You know, it's, that's it's true. the light and the shade, man. I'm, I'm the yin and the yang. <laughs> I feel like we've gotten very much into the shy talk since I've jumped on. Yeah, well. Yeah, bring something to the fucking table, dickhead. <laughs> Do more than work. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I didn't shit the bed. You haven't got the COVID. That's all good. What else is going on with it? I th- I think we covered quite a lot there. <laughs> that was two very important topics that people needed to know about. <laughs> Spit on whoever's okay with being spat on. Don't shit the bed, and you're just a fancy tube. Yeah. <laughs> fancy tube. <laughs> <laughs> It's fucking true. Oh fuck me! <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh, we're really, we're really going in there today, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, what's what's the what, there is a word for it? Uh, ju- what a fancy tube! No, deuterosome. No, was it deuteros deuterostomy embryos? The anus generally develops first, then the mouth. <laughs> I can tell you, man. We need to move on. That's just facts. Just facts. <laughs> Moving shit. on. All right. Yeah, so that's... you've been working. You haven't got the COVID. You're a little bit tired. Not not hungover this morning. No. Um, and just restricting my movements. Yeah. Like everybody else should be doing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, well, well said, Cammy. Maybe, maybe I'm just being a promotion for the government. Yeah. No, no. Not at all. Because mm. <laughs> the amount we bitch about them yeah. <laughs> on previous episodes, I no should. one could ever believe that we are a shill for the government. Yeah. <laughs> but we are. We are proponents of keeping everyone, including ourselves. So. No. Well, after the excitement of getting a negative test, I've had quite a boring week. And, and getting the vaccine today, though. Getting the vaccine today, so I'll have one more boring week. Yeah. And then, yeah. then it's all guns oh, blazing. I am going everywhere. <laughs> cool, man. might go into a restaurant you might, might be able indoors. to eat in the fucking pub yeah. that you work in yeah might eat indoors yeah. might go crazy <laughs> get a cheeky nandos yeah might yeah might do you're that. coming out for breakfast you're coming out for breakfast on sunday morning well ashton can't go inside no we're gonna eat, we're gonna eat outside breakfast in the silken oh yeah no i know that yeah yeah but what's yeah, the point what now that i can eat indoors yeah, like fuck I, you two. You can I, sit outside. I have I'm gonna progressed. be inside, nice and warm. Yeah, I, I, yeah. The fuck, the weather's getting bad now. Yeah, the, the outdoor dining much, isn't yeah. gonna last much longer. No. no <laughs> well, I say happen. that we haven't had decent heat. weather in about three weeks. Nah, heat wave next week apparently. Of course. Yeah, apparently so. And then it'll be grand once the kids go back to back to school for we two weeks. Week yeah, yeah. Last week we had Paul on. He was talking around his experience of mental health. Paul, one of the biggest supporters of the podcast in the past. Uh, what, what, what did you think? Of, what did you make of last week? Anything that stood out for you? I think what stood out for me most when Paul talked about the importance of how an employer handles their employees' mental health, mm. and how he says that when when his when one of his employers understood the importance of someone's mental health, it really made a big difference for him because of someone who has struggled with with his own mental health. Yeah, 
he kind of talked about how that made a big difference for him and how much he enjoyed working there was when they could empathize with him even if yeah. you didn't understand it completely exactly yeah that was that was the thing that struck as well yeah your man was like yeah i, I don't know what you're going through don't know what that's like but he, he empathized and understood mm. it whereas previous work, work experience was very toxic environment a lot of toxic masculinity and just a man up kind of attitude and just mm. get on with it and you're the problem and etc etc yeah yeah so i think i think more than anything that was the highlight of it all for me was how he understood the importance of the importance of it yeah and that's that's yeah. what we try to do we try to get away from that as much as possible those kind of situations and those attitudes towards mental health because i remember a friend of mine said years ago she'd had a she'd had a breakup and she told the employer the person she worked with and worked with well it was what it was she just had the breakup and she said look i can't come in today she's like why not and she's like you know because i'm you know just going through this breakup she said yeah but you'll still be able to come in she's like she says i have a broken heart she said if mm. i had a broken leg you wouldn't expect me to come in Mm. you know and her mind is everything you know if her mind's not right nothing's right mm. and and james who we'll have on later on is obviously a big big proponent of that so mm. yeah yeah and no, a lot of people see it as it's not a physical injury so it can't exactly. affect you yeah that's the problem yeah Good so stuff. have you got some smiles and royals for me for everyone oh, listening I to, do. The, I... to the podcast for the first week what we normally do is we have that little check-in and then we have our smiles and royals things that have made us smile during the week and things that have us royal during the week well, my first big smile is obviously I don't have COVID. That was good, man. That, that really kind of got me going. Kept yeah, my week, kept my week alight. I was ready to come on here with a big rile that I'm suffering at home with COVID. Mm, mm. Thankfully, that is not the case. My <laughs> second smile is I'm actually getting vaccinated this week now. Actually, had, today, yeah, I had had to cut that out last week. That was supposed to be my smile. I had to take that away yeah. because I had to get a COVID test instead. So I've. I postponed that smile and brought it forward this week instead. Alright. That's alright. My Ryle is still kinda of how people see the the dining system mm. in the country. Like I, I know it's been going on for what has it been, four weeks now since we since indoor dining has been allowed. Yeah, so for everyone outside of Ireland, uh you can only dine indoors if you have had your double vaccinations and you have proof of said thing if you haven't been fully vaccinated you have to dine outdoors you have to sit outdoors um and that has been a huge contention in the country a great divide over it and for most people they're fine with it if they're not vaccinated they go out they book an outdoor table and it's grand but you have some people that say have their first dose got their first jab at a vaccine or got their second jab but you know it takes seven days to to kick mm. in when you get your mm. second vaccine and they don't seem to realize that and now that we have the the scanners now so when you scan it so you get you get your vaccine sir when you yeah. get your second dose but it doesn't activate for a week all oh, right so like if i scanned if i scanned it within the first six days of someone's vaccine oh, it would say yeah. it would say invalid okay right. but when i explain this to people and it's it's happened kind of a lot more than i expected i thought everyone would have realized that you, you mm. know you've got a week kind of grace period mm Fuck me, I'd say I've had 30, 40 customers already that have said, oh, well, no, I'm vaccinated. I got a couple of days ago. And I said, yeah, well, you're not vaccinated. Yeah, you've, got kind yeah. of, you've got another three or four days or whatever. And mm. I get really pissed off. I'd imagine so. Yeah, as if it's uh, my fault. Yeah, yeah, don't blame Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> not on this side, anyway. Man, I'm just telling you, this This is what the scanner says. Yeah, yeah. So you get you scan the QR code. You get a QR mm. code with your, with your vaccine cert, and then that tells you, 
their name and the, the vaccine that they've had. Yeah. And then some places ask them for additional ID just to just to make sure that's that is you are who you are and the and the names match up. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's not just, look, you can understand people are eager, obviously they mm. they want to sit inside, enjoy a nice meal. Um and they can't they can only do that on the condition that they're fully vaccinated and then you rush out, you get your vaccine as soon as you can, and then it's like, no, no, you got mm. you got to hold on. Yeah, so, yeah so you can understand them being frustrated, uh, but it's not okay to take it out on you. Yeah, so to to kind of sum up my rile, because I kind of went back and forth there. Please don't take your anger out on the the bar staff who are just doing what the government tells them to do. Mm. Take it out on the government. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there you go. See, we're not fucking shills for the government. Yeah, tran- <laughs> transfer your anger to somebody <laughs> yeah. else that isn't me. Leave, leave your displaced anger. At home and directed yeah. where it needs to be directed, yeah. which is the government, and not and where it's not supposed to be directed is me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's a smile. smile. So that's, two, that's I, two smiles. I'm still a little. No, I think I'm I'm balanced again now. I'm back to yeah. one and one because I was okay. I was I was minus right. a smile last week, so I gave you a second one this week. Yeah. Um. No, that's that's alright. You balance out. We're all about bringing balance to the yeah. force. <laughs> well, you are. Yeah. Just go for whatever fucking pisses me off. Yeah. It makes me smile. <laughs> so, what what about yourself? What's been going on with you? Oh, I got out for a game of golf the other day. My second second game of golf, and I am fucking sore. My back is in absolute. Pits. So didn't go as well as the first pits. one. So. No, it went exactly as I thought the first one was going to go. Not good. Uh, not good at all. Yeah, played quite shite. Um. And got obviously quite frustrated because I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I was out here the last time. I was pinging it down the fairway. Mm. And fuck, I'm after losing three balls in one hole. And it's so frustrating. But Brendan was like, yeah, I said, you look stiff. You can see it in you there every time you, every time you swing. Um, so that was. And you can't swing properly, so you're not going to hit the ball properly. And that gets frustrating. And then I woke up the next day and my back is still in bits. I'm really, really sore. And then I was at the... Um, I was at the dentist as well. I chipped a tooth a few months back. I was like, all right, that's annoying. I'll, I'll get it sorted when, you know, less lockdown restrictions and all that kind of thing. Uh, and then that started getting really sore. I was taking painkillers and then went to the dentist. He's like, oh, he says, that's, that's not a filling. You have to take that out. I said, I can't oh, take no. that one out because that's beside another one that you took out years ago. He said, well, then you're, you're going to need a crown. Yeah, oh, so fucking six to fucking six to eight hundred euros. Yeah, uh, for a crown. A lot of money. Yeah, and then he said, hey, "I haven't seen you in a while." I was like, "I know." I says, "I said to him, I said, William, he says you're like me." I says, uh, "People only come to you when there's something wrong. Like <laughs> 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 no one goes in with great teeth." Yeah. Uh, well, I don't anyway. I go and like I keep them, I brush, I mm. mouthwash, I do take care of them as best I can, and I've been all right for the last few years. But and then when there's a bit of pain, going to need a clean and stuff like that, and a crown. So yeah, got that to got that to look forward to. And mm. he said, root canal or crown. So, yeah, so that, okay, we go with the crown, mm. which is basically a replacement of some sort. That I think just kind of screw it into your mouth or something like that, or this new tooth is screwed into your comb, something mm. like that. Anyway, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's going to cost me a lot of money, and I presume I'm going to probably be in a lot of pain. Probably that's usually yeah. how the dentist goes. So that's that's my check in. That's that's what's been going on with me. Uh, my smiles and royals. Uh, I'm going to be royal first. Um, we like to get those out of the way. Uh, two two little royals. Well, my little royal is comedian Sean Lockdyed. Did were you familiar mm. with him? Yeah, no, yeah. I'm aware. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even know he was sick. I seen that on social media. I was like, oh fuck, I really like him. Um, 
very sad. It's only like fifty eight or something like that. Um, so that was me. That was my little Ryle. I really enjoyed him. Any the panel shows he was on, you know, the, he was on eight out of ten cats. Was eight it? out of ten cats. Yeah. Uh, I think he would have been on QI. Um, what's the other one? Have I got news for you? Is that who I got news for you? That's the one with Daryl Breen. Um, don't know the other one anyway. People, people know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so the death, death of uh, Sean Locke. That, that was very sad. Um, me, my other royal. I gotta come up with a smile to balance this out. Because I was like, oh shit. Because it, I thought um, it was only me that balances it out. Yeah, no, I was like, well, I need to have a smile. I'm sure I'll come up with something as I'm talking. Went out for dinner up up the north, up in Northern Ireland, where you can dine indoors. And um, <laughs> two two rides associated with that. First was the meal. So Ashing said, Ashing kind of, her cousin knows the kind of owner. She's like, I don't leave a bad review. I was like, the food was shit. So I got like, um, so my starter was, it was like, uh, supposed to be like a hot bread with, um, like a spiced kind of salsa kind of thing and cheese. They brought it out. It looked like a bit of a fucking Vienna roll cut up with a bit of spicy red sauce on it. And nice. So what sort of cheese would you expect to, would you expect to put on that? On a spicy bit of bread? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Maybe some mozzarella or something. Yeah, yeah. Mozzarella, That's maybe a, be the... a cheddar, brie, yeah. something melty. Do you know what was on it? What's that? A fucking easy single. Oh, fuck. How much did you pay for this piece of bread? Oh, I think it was about six or seven pound. Um, for a bit of bread and a fucking easy yeah, single. Well, yeah, for the starter. Yeah, five or six pound, I think. Fuck. Um, so as, as Ashton calls it, pretend cheese. Yeah, well, and not, I like pretend cheese. No, I so like pretend I, cheese not, at home. Not when you go not to a restaurant. A fuck, not when I go out for, for dinner. <laughs> I like I it mean, when I pay one fifty for a twenty pack. Sixty <laughs> <laughs> p for a fucking sliced pan down in Aldi and a packet yeah. of cheese and your grand sorted. Yeah, I don't yeah. like it when I'm paying six quid for that on a bit of yeah, fucking shit def- bread. Definitely not. Um, and then Ashling got a beef stroganoff and she was eating it. I was like, you don't look too impressed. She's like, no. I said, you know what's the worst thing is? That's going to look exactly the same coming out. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what everybody wants to hear when they're eating their food. Yeah, but no, the food was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Um, so I won't leave the review online out of respect for Ashley's cousin and on the owners. But for anyone that has eaten food in the coaching in Oma, I would advise against it. <laughs> yeah. And then we were waiting like 35 minutes from after the start to the mains. And they called a the young lad over. And he's like, uh, you know, just checking that we've forgotten about her. Oh, there's a table of 16 in there. And I'm like, in my head, I'm going, that's your fucking fault. Put more <laughs> staff on if you know you've got a big booking. Um, so, yeah. So the food. Yeah, that was that was me royal out for. And then everyone. So the music started afterwards. They had live music in there. The North is riddled with the rig numbers. Everyone up dancing. No masks. Swinging over each other. All of this sort of thing. Um, and then. I'm not going to, I don't have a smile this week, but I, me, the royal then associated with that. So part of autism is uh, there can be auditory issues, there's sensitivity to different sounds and stuff like that. Um, we have, you have muscles in your ear, if you're aware of that or not, you've got inner ear muscles. Uh, our brains are processed sounds differently. So once the music started, it was my first time meeting Ashling's mother. We went out for, she met us later on for drinks. The band started and I literally couldn't hear a word she was saying. There was so much ambient sound that I couldn't 
lockdown and focus into um, the human voice. She was sitting across the table and it was literally, Ashley was literally translating. I was like, I don't know what she was saying. So I just sat there for the two and a half hours just fucking staring around, not being able to hear anything. Fuck. Uh, it was really annoying. Uh, you haven't spent so... enough time in nightclubs trying to talk up the bitches. No, <laughs> no. Well, the music uh, is pumping into but your th- ear. But this, but this is something that it, it struck me a couple of years ago because I went to a rugby match with my friend Michelle and met some of her friends there. Went to the pub afterwards um, and I couldn't hear a word they were saying. And I was like, oh, well, obviously it's a pub. It's very loud. You know, no one can hear anyone. And I actually looked at where I was sitting. So sitting in the triangle where I was sitting, where they were sitting. And I was like, no, because they're exactly the same distance apart as I am from them. Um, and I thought I'm not deaf because I know I can hear everything else. Mm. You know, I don't have any. Uh, you just can't it, focus it, on the. It's that piece. I can't focus in on the on the frequency, of the human voice, because mm. there's so much going on to process in everything else. So that relates for anyone that doesn't know. I was diagnosed this year with autism, what would have been called high function Asperger's, um, and there is things that go along with with that. So. That's me smiles and riles. Didn't have any smiles. Well, my smile is if it stops raining, I'm going to the zoo today uh, with James. So after if it stops raining, it's not raining here, but it is um, raining quite heavily here. Oh, is it? You tend to get just after we do. Oh shit! Maybe maybe they won't make it up to Dublin. They won't (laughs) go up there. Oh, (laughs) yeah, up to the zoo, which is quite expensive. So I ended up buying a yearly pass because it was like thirty thirty something euros for myself and James. And for the then, year? No. Oh, I thought you said a yearly pass. No, no, the yearly pass is 130. Oh, that's not yeah. bad. Yeah, that's, I was like, well, that just makes more sense to get that, and you can yeah. use it then as much as you want. So ended up ended up buying that. So hopefully going to the zoo, and I know it's going to be quick because you basically just walk around. You can't go in anywhere. You can't mm. do anything. So oh, you, you bought the yearly pass instead of paying the 30 quid? Yeah, yeah, so oh, 130. That, you know, use it two or three more times. It's paid for itself. Yeah, you go a couple of times in the summer, sure, it's paid. Yeah, yeah. And is there any benefits to come with? No. No. It's <laughs> just, you just, just pass. You go it's just cheaper. Yeah. So that's me, that's me smiles and rails. That's, that's it. That's the check-in. So you have we a all potential that front. smile. Yeah, yeah. Potential smile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this week we're straight talking men's mental health with James Boardman, also known as the Man Coach. James is a speaker, an author, and most importantly, a father of four. James, how's it going? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. 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 Yeah. That one well. Good, good job, Cam. I do them all well, man. Come on. <laughs> you did, yeah. I had to remember all that. It's like, J- James wears many hats. So I was like, well, you, can, you know, you can intro it or just let him say it. But he took that and ran with ran with. I thought, off. yeah, I was pretty impressed. It's pretty, pretty smooth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a good yeah. job. <laughs> Don't worry, James. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> it's when I start talking. That's when the problems begin. The professionalism has stopped after the first minute. Yeah. Gone. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's start again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that's Cameron's intro of you, James. But uh, in your own words, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, okay, so I, I'm I'm a former Royal Marine. Um, I, I think before being a, a Royal Marine, there wasn't too much going on really. I lost my dad as a as a six year old. grew grew up with my brother and my mum. Um, do you know what I, I, I was very lost always in life I think and I think that was probably from not having a father like I, I'm, I had a stepfather who was just an emotional bully to be fair 
um, until I was big enough to uh, deal with him. <laughs> and then uh, through through life, I was always lost, you know. Um, and then uh, I, I watched a film called Black Hawk Down at the cinema. And just mm. before that film, there was an advert of uh, for Royal Marines. And it was, I never forget it. It was, it was like a young lad running through and he goes through the tunnel and he gets snagged on the tunnel. Um, and they ask him where your limits are. Is it here? Is it here? And I just remember him coming out the tunnel and, and the Royal Marine going, compose yourself, compose yourself, good lad, off you go. And it just like, I, was, I still get goose pimples now talking about Aye. it. And, um, oh, the next scene is that he's on this speedboat, camouflage, green barrier, and mm. like a completely different identity. And I was just like, fuck me. Like, I'm in, and I, I shit you not. The next day, I applied. Like, literally, wow. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. I, I had a full career as well. Um, you know, I was a store. I was looking after a six million pound store for McDonald's, and you know, I was on their fast track, fast track to be an operations manager. And you know, at the time, you're like, oh my god, McDonald's. But like, you know, they paid well. You got a company car. You know, you, you, you as a as a as a young twenty something to have a career or direction. You know, mm. it just wasn't my calling though, and seeing that advert then watching black hawk down and weirdly being attracted to like that camaraderie and the thought of going to war was which was ridiculous but i, I think it's a sense of purpose that i was missing in life yeah. right okay. uh, young, as, as a as a young lad so i joined the marines and um I, I created who i was you know my character I don't think I'll ever lose that character or identity as a Royal Marine and everything that they stand for is, I think it was always going to be there in terms of um, me moving forwards. Um, and, and I had a really great career, you know, I had a really great career. You have to work for your career when you're in there. You, if you just sit around, you're going to get pinged for, for shit jobs. Um, and I, I remember my, my training corporal always saying to me, if you ever get an opportunity to do become a sniper, get on a sniper's course, then do it. It's like, it's one of the most renowned courses, hard courses in the Western military. And um, lo and behold, eight months in, I was like looking at like, what on earth am I going to do? And there was an aptitude and a course and I did it and got on the course and I ended up passing the course, which just opened up numerous doors for me. Um, and I, uh, I then ended up helping on the sniper training team as well, which was really, really great, which, which then led me to an opportunity to become a, a PTI, which is a physical training instructor, which is really what I like fucking wanted to do. And it's just a big boys club. It's Drill Sergeant James Boardman, isn't just, it? Honestly. And like, but it, the, the, how uh, I can't I can't really put it into context how proud I was to be able to wear that white vest mm. you know it was eight months of physical and mental torture of of, of like the, the 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 course was so demanding um, and to come through it was brilliant which again opened up and a load more opportunities for me I went off skiing for three months and just had a one on one skiing instructor for three months because I was going to go and work in Germany for two years to become a um, a, uh, a ski instructor and uh <laughs> and i come back i then worked uh, and took took hundreds and hundreds of guys through their paces and gotten through passed out so i'm responsible for the physical emotional training of, of the royal marines recruits to make sure that they're ready from day one to day 32 mm-hmm. physically robust enough to pass commando tests um and then i went off to do an adventure training course for eight months in north wales I just learned how to climb, kayak, canoe, mountain walk for eight months. But teaching, you have to learn all the skills to a very high proficiency. Mm. Um, 
and then I got to the stage where, um, you know, I, I was starting to really miss my kids. I had my big two that we were just talking about back mm. then were like very young and, um, and I was doing seven, 800 mile round trips every weekend to get home for like a day and a half coming back. And yeah. to be honest with you, I was fucked. And I was say, um, you're not good to them after that. No. And, and you get back on a late Friday night, you go on a Sunday evening and you're just like, it's not enough. And, um, the reason I went into a bit of detail about explaining the military there was because I probably had the best job that you could probably get in a court, like, you know, a like adventure mm. training instructor, get to travel the world, get to do all these amazing things. And um, I made the decision to sacrifice it and give it all up so I could come home and be a full-time dad. Um, I think that was that for, for me, that that was probably the hardest but the, but the but the best decision I think I've made on, since I've been alive, you know, yeah. it, it, there are two completely different paths that we could have taken for that. Um, um, I ended up leaving the military first three years. Um, in the first year and a half, I ended up getting divorced. Um, and it was all down to me, really, because of my mental health, like after leaving, you know, I, it's not the fact that I didn't see anything that shook me. It's just complete and utter shock to the system in terms of lifestyle. Mm. you know you're used to a one way of life structure camaraderie vision passion identity um character to then suddenly working in a college with 16 to 19 year olds who 90 percent of them are assholes um and, and just don't <laughs> want to be there and to to not feeling like you belong to anything to not feeling like you know you're completely stripped of your identity like literally stripped of your identity and um I started drinking. I, I lost. I lost the plot. I um, I attempted like I was attempting one night to really just take my own life in one night, and managed just to like get myself out of that and go for a run. And that was like my pinnacle point in terms of building myself up. Um, and then I started my own business, which was just a local boot camp. We we got up to like we I when I left the college. Um, we were fi- I was financially broken, like I had nothing. So um, I worked my uh, socks off, me, YouTube, and a very high work ethic. And, and we managed to make a six-figure business in the first year. Okay. Um, and um, after that, I dealt with all the burnout. I dealt with all the rules of running a business. Met Jemima. She completely changed my life. Um we we had Alba together in 2017 um, and that made me realise that I was tied into my business and I didn't want to be. So I moved online and what I really wanted to do was help men who mm. were not, not reaching their potential in life, um, who were questioning what their purpose was in life, where they were in life, where their character was. And I think, um, which we'll come on to in terms of a little bit later. And and so I wanted to work with those men and I did create the dad coach. Then we reformed it to the man coach. I wrote a book um, to really help as a beginner's phase with its state of mind, create a podcast and just really have evolved to like where we are now, you know, and, and um, I've run a second company as a side hustle to help business owners avoid mental and emotional burnout to, to be more structured in their business as well. So, you know, it's, um, it's, it's been a long old journey. It's the longest intro ever. By the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I was sitting there going, now will I say it to the camera or will I say it myself? Go, fuck, right, now we need to unpack this. <laughs> but I just, I, you know, I often listen to podcasts and I listen to intros. Mm. And when I listen to somebody introduce themselves, I sometimes feel like I just need some context behind mm. each part of it. And I know we'll go into detail on some of it now, mm. but like... I just think it's important to understand because like a lot of people, whenever, whenever you're introduced to someone new, they're like, who the fuck is this guy? Mm. Like, do, do mm. you know? And I think it's, mm. I think sometimes when you just say like a one minute bio, you're like, well, I can't, I can't really explain who I am in, yeah. in that period of yeah. time. I need to be, I, I need you to understand in brief kind of like the last 10 years. And mm. I think that's, what's really important to, to understand for a lot of people. Within, within that though, James, um, and you know, I know, I know we joke on the longest intro ever, but I suppose, is there maybe the piece of that, that, and I think it maybe you kind of touched on a little bit that you've defined yourself by your work, you know, with all of those things that you've done and all of those accomplishments is, is that kind of how you've defined your life and having left the military then, which as you said, gave you, gave you such purpose. Where where did that leave you? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think um, who I am today is a product of the last, it's not just of the last ten years, but the last eighteen years. You know, I include mm. the military spell in that time. You know, mm. um, uh, I, there's been an awful lot of um, life experience in there, ups and downs, try like trials and tribulations, and um, I guess where I am today is is a direct is a direct response to like having control, losing control, regaining control, you know, um, very successful military like career, um, a very troublesome three years. But if I didn't go through those three years, I'd never would be the man Mm. I am today. And I think, you know, I think that, I think that's right. It's not like I'm raveling the box or I'm raveling the the gift, right? Mm. You, 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 you kind of, have to realize that when to be put in a position of responsibility to help men you you really have had had to understand where that man has been or where that man is which um i think over since since i've started this so it's been about 2013 since i started touching base with men and start working with men so over that year it's evolved but in that time I've, i've listened to thousands of men through phone calls coaching groups whatever so there's nothing i haven't heard that hasn't shocked me anymore because i've heard a lot of it do you know what i mean um so i think all of the accumulation of everything uh, i've gone through with these men whether they're still with me today or they're doing what they're doing there's a whole there's a whole eight years thousands of men worth of experience in my head i guess Mm. and and, you know Mm. that has almost helped me define me as well Mm. if that makes sense yeah. Growing up, if we go back to you know to the start, where you said you know your dad died at such a young age, um, can you have your memories of that, James? Do you, do you remember? Yeah, I do, you know I do. Um, I, you know, I, I remember. I remember. I remember the time that my mum come back. So, like, the, it was terrible how my dad went. He had a heart, massive heart attack, and they were up in Blackpool, and we were about to move up to Blackpool. Bearing in mind we're in the southeast, you know, so it's right on the other end of the country. My dad mm-hmm. got promotion. So I was about to go to a boarding school. Um, he was about to start a huge, brand new, huge job. And he, um, on the night before they were going up to sign the contract for the house, had a huge heart attack and died. And I never forget my mum coming back while I was staying with my nan and just like hearing, like, you know, when you hear a, a dog howl, like it's like, mm. it's right. And I just heard this noise I'd never heard as a six year old. And it was my mum just like, like, it was like her soul breaking. And, and I, 
that always sticks in my mind. It's very harrowing, I think. And I think it's, it was a very troublesome. It was a very troublesome post four to five years after that in terms of like dealing. I, I remember a lot of times being in bed and saying, "Mummy, I miss Daddy. I miss Daddy." And it must have been so hard for my mum because my mum is somebody who didn't really accept it didn't accept that he died as well and rebounded with my stepdad as well. And it was a very difficult period. Um, and I think growing up, you know, I don't know. It just, I never, um, I was very independent very quickly and I had to be, you know, mm. I mean, I, I like my mum was out working, trying to support us all. And I was looking after my brother um, at a very young age, but, you know, I moved out at 16. Um, so I, I guess I've been very independent very early. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I suppose what's kind of struck me as you were talking there is how you've kind of, I suppose you've taken on perhaps for a lot of these men, perhaps a father-like role or a mentor-like role, you know, yeah. how, how many, you know, whether that's young guys coming through training that, you know, you kind of took it. You, you, uh, we always say, I always say in the podcast that nature abhors a vacuum. Yeah. Some, something will be found to fill that space and that the space of that male, male figure and responsibility that, Befalls so many men as being the breadwinner, being the responsible one, taking yeah. on, taking it all on. Yeah. That's my job. I need to do all of that. Yeah, you took that and with gusto. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I you know I think there's an, an an element of my dad dying that lies within the passion of what I do because, like, what I would absolutely hate is for so many of um, so many of these guys have young families, right? have young families and you think to yourself god can you imagine if they didn't look after themselves or they did something crazy but that they didn't mean to do and took their own lives or and then those kids are left in that position without a dad you know i think like a father figure as well as a mother figure is so important in in Mm. that role you know Mm. i look at my i look at my relationship with my son now at 14 and i think it's at such an important stage like you and yeah. you and Cameron right it's such an important stage because between the ages of 13 and 20 um there is so much scope for being misled by other mm, people oh, right 100%. like yeah and and I think what is really understand like I, I think that role of as, as a father is more than ever between the ages of a teenage boy and a, and a, and a 19 20 year old skip them through there like without without falling into the wrong people, without the scrapping, mm. the drugs, the drink that, you know, and it's kind of keeping them on track. So basically I was talking about that. You, so it's very difficult for men to put them first. Like you touched based on it a little bit earlier and you were talking about um, how difficult it is to be as a man because you feel like you're responsible for bills, mm. the roof above your head, mm. everything. You take on that self-pressure. There's an awful lot of self-pressure, right? So, and I, and I think one of the things we have to be able to do is really recognize that, if we are not the priority, if we are not the priority equals the best version of yourself or working on yourself, if we're not at the very top. And I kind of have this pyramid and it's the priority pyramid. And if you're not at the top, you're at the bottom carrying the weight mm. of the world. But when you're at the top of this priority pyramid, everything underneath you, family, work, responsibilities, everything gets the best version of you. Mm. So. When we think about that in terms of like when I look at that relation to my dad, my dad wasn't the best version of himself. He used to smoke. He was very stressed. He was caught up in a chaotic corporate world. Um, He didn't eat very well. He didn't exercise enough. 
So he, in some relations, he would have been a perfect client for me, right? <laughs> he would have been <laughs> like that perfect client. And there are many men out there who are in, who are like my dad, but who have young kids. So we have to be the best version of ourselves to make sure that we're around to see the mm. kids through. So when I talk about missions and remembering the mission, when I say to people and people say, I'm not motivated to get up, I'm always like, remember why you're doing this. This is such an important part that your part of your mission is to be here. One of your roles, part of your mission is to be a great mm. father. You can't mm. be a great father if you're not here and not looking after yourself, but you can be a great father if you're getting up and you're just doing a little bit of work on yourself to make sure that you see them through, you know? And I think mm. I, I always, this is mental. Like my five, if I, if I can see my five week, year old Darcy and I can get it to 30 I know that all the others are going to do be all right but if I can get it to that and then something that then I'm then I'm happy mm. you know what I mean uh, you know that takes me up to 75 so I kind of think to myself I've got to make sure that I get up and I look after my mental mm. health my emotional health my physical well-being I've got to make sure I manage my stress and everything else and I think you know all of that comes about from seeing my dad and watching him pass and what I went through as, as a direct result of that. Well, it's something we always talk about on the show is that you can't look after other people if you don't look after yourself first. 100%. You're right. 100%. And it's a military thing as well, you know. You you, you look after your weapon mm. first because if your weapon doesn't fire, you're dead. You, do you know what I mean? And if you don't look after you, you can't look after your mate on the yeah. left or the right of them. Do you know what I mean? And mm. it, it's one in all in. You're absolutely right. And... Um, it's so difficult for people to understand that because a lot of conversations I have for a lot of men, they turn around and go, Oh, I'm constantly running around after everyone else. I'm Mm. done, you know, and you just fall into that. Like responsibility, the buck always falls with me, but the direct consequence of that is you're fucked mentally, emotionally, Mm. you're just baggage and um, you fall down. Do you think though, James, that's, you know, I, I think for a lot of men that that gets worn as a badge of honor. That you have to be fucked. If you're not bollocks, if yeah. you're not fucked tired, you're not working hard enough. And if you're not working hard enough, then you don't have you don't have any value in yourself. Yeah, I do. And I and I think that I think that evolves from an older generation of thinking. Yeah. 100%. Like I like I don't think that I don't think that Cameron will be saying that. I don't think my son will be saying that. I don't mm-hmm. think that the generation that are teenagers now will be saying. No, I, I do think it's an older thing. You're right. I do, I do, I do feel like it's a. You've got to get fucking in the mind, yeah. son. You've got to make sure you're fucking. You know, you don't like if unless you've worked fucking eighteen hours a day, son. You're not really mm. working. You're not a man. Like you know that yeah. mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a toxic masculinity, I suppose, yeah. that, has, that has prevailed and has this. You know, particularly our kind of our own age group of. Has us emotionally repressed, or would have had us so emotionally repressed. You know, big boys don't cry. You man up, fucking yeah. get on with it. You know, you don't talk about your feelings. That's for fucking women. Yeah, all, all of that kind of attitude that has male suicide just yeah. so prevalent. Yeah, you know, the, the statistics in Ireland eight out of ten suicides are. are I don't think it's going to be. I, I reckon we. It's going to be another five, ten years before men realise that actually it's all right to talk. That actually it's all right to feel vulnerable. That actually it's all right to sometimes accept that you're not confident or that you don't feel mm. great yeah, uh, yeah but what's but but what is important to understand on the back side of that is that 
you have to work to change that way of thinking. What what isn't acceptable is staying in that state yeah. of mind. The victim, yeah. like for me, I call it the victim mentality, mm-hmm. um, and and that victim mentality is like, oh, woe is me. Like acceptance is one thing, doing something about it is a completely different is a different matter, right? You know, um, because whenever I, whenever I, I wouldn't say whenever I start to feel like something isn't going my way or I'm not where I want to be. I just mm-hmm. think about everybody else that's in a worse situation than me. I think about uh, like on my morning walks, I often see a couple of homeless guys that I have a chat with and like really lovely guys. And um, I think to myself, well, I'm not waking up with the only thing that I own is a sleeping mm. bag. With no, do you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm, I'm guaranteed water when I wake up. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm guaranteed to have a roof over my head. For, for now at least do you know what I mean so really perspective is a huge thing um about where where you are like yeah. everybody's suffering in some way I don't I don't believe there's I believe that I believe there's probably only about one or two percent of men that probably actually don't struggle with mental health I think I feel mm. like their statistics are huge I feel that every man that's listened to this every man and woman I should say um mm. I don't want to discriminate like women are struggling with it as much as men mm. are and you know, we spoke just before this, the like with the COVID happening as well, it's like more than ever, everyone's struggling. But the difference is people are really good at wearing masks. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. That's something I touched on before. That I'm not kind of proud of a lot of things with my generation. They actually tend to piss me off an awful lot. But one of the things I am proud of is how they've given men the freedom to kind of talk about their mental health and how it has become a much bigger thing, especially with social media that men can feel a lot more comfortable coming out and talking about how they feel or how they're stressed or how work has been too much for them. Whereas that hasn't been a thing in the past. I agree. Yeah, definitely. I even see it in clinical practice and actually it's kind of, it's always kind of amazed me, but I've always thought, well, that's, that's, that's good because, you know, kind of lads, Cameron's age coming in, but they're having, but, but, but they're coming in with a language of, you know, let's say to them, well, you know, what brings you here? What's going on? Oh, you know, I just, you know, my mental health's not great. You know, I just want to just want to kind of get on top of that. Yeah, they're using the language mm. of mental health. Yeah, of yeah, I, you know, I need to I need to source something with this because you know, yep. I know things are getting on top of me at the moment. So yeah, uh, it, it is there is a shift. There is a shift. a shift. There is a shift, and and we, I've recognised that shift as well. And when I first started this man coach experience, we we were working with just guys really who were hit thirty five, but I, I I feel that's I feel that's an error, um, and I feel that we have to shift down to those low twenties. Because how how do we solve that midlife? I don't want to say crisis. That midlife point where we question now what? So we mm. like we we go out on a piss and fucking chase all the women in the early twenties. We find someone in our late twenties. We married him when we're thirty. By the time we're thirty five, we've got two kids. We're stuck in a job we hate. We've got mortgage payments, and you get to thirty five or forty, you're either divorced unhappily married or actually happily married okay and happily in your situation but then you go now fucking what like now what yeah. but then i think to myself well imagine having that awareness as a 25 year old what you're going to like, do for the rest of your life yeah like you, you instead of instead of being reactive to it as a 40 year old imagine being proactive at it as a 22 24 26 year old man who mm. becomes more emotionally intelligent about where his future's yeah. going, what's happening. Imagine a 26-year-old being in my mastermind with lads that are in their 40s. How much life would they learn about, fuck, 
being in that position. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I know that I'm mm-hmm. off. Like, I, if I admit to myself, um, I was actually, and, until I joined the Royal Marines, I struggled mentally, but I just didn't know what it mm-hmm. was. Like, yeah. when I joined the Marines, I had structure, belonging, community. Like, I didn't, like, when I was in the Royal Marines, I didn't struggle with mental health. Like, and I, and I know I didn't. I was happy. Mm. The happiest, it's the happiest chapter I've been in my life because I belonged. I had fulfillment. I had everything that I wanted. Before and after, I, I would say I'm in a good place now, but, like, directly after for those three years and building up, it's just chaos. <laughs> it's just chaos, lack of direction, mm. lack of understanding, not knowing, like, where am I going with this? Mm. For fuck's sake. Like, where am I going? What direction? Who am I? What do I want to be? You know, you're kind of, I suppose, in some ways, James, you're kind of the, the, the poster child for for existentialism of life having purpose. Yeah. And then life not mm. having a purpose. Yeah. And what it looks like, as you said, the happiest time you were in the Marines, you had purpose, you had camaraderie, you had a sense of belonging. And then you come out of that and then you face that existential crisis. Of, of now what? James, we couldn't have couldn't have someone with your background on without talking about it and without talking about the Royal Marines. Sniper. You were told go for that, but but why? What what appealed to you about sniper, and what were some of those experiences? Was it like just how cool so it sounds? Like, fucking hell! You can you can you can get drinks off that for the rest of your life. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. Oh well, you know, I was a Ryan Marine sniper. Oh, I wonder why you were pointing. Tell me your story. <laughs> I well, I, I looked at now, but... some, um, when we were in Afghan. I made friends with a couple of special forces who. Um, um, American lads who I kept in touch with and they invited me over and we went over and uh, their attitude in the military is like completely different over there. Like they literally love you. And uh, we were in a queue for a nightclub and um, one of the one of the soldiers knew the bounce and he goes, oh yeah, this is my friend James. He's a Royal Marine sniper. And I went, fuck. They got us out of the queue, took us into the club and sat us in the VIP and bought us drinks all night. I was like, so, on, let's go. So that's, go. that's why you joined the Marines. <laughs> That's why I did it. <laughs> VIP access, baby. <laughs> uh, love it. What? What? I I know it was a, a you know I know it was a good time for you, but what was some of the difficulties that you faced as a part of? That? Well, I, I, to answer that question at the start, the reason I went, mm. I, I decided to join, become a sniper, was number one. I when I joined the military, had all intentions of becoming a special forces soldier. That like that's why I joined the military. Um, I wanted to join the SPS. Uh, if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it in the right way. So I thought if I could become accredited with becoming a sniper, that would really help my chances. Um, I always like to do things that I feel um, always improve myself. I wanted to be a really good soldier. Like, you know, mm. um, I wasn't great at the start. Through, through training, I did well. At the start of my career in the military, I guess my focus wasn't as high as it should have been. Um, mm. and maybe that was just a fallout from strict eight months training. You know, I was just on a piss with lads. I just saw it as a boys club. Um, and then I'd become a sniper and I, I really wanted to be a really good. So I wanted to be good. At, I wanted to be respected as a soldier. Um, and, you know, uh, I always looked at the sniper and you learn your soldiering skills at the highest level, like the absolute highest level. And that's one of the reasons as well. You know, um, I wanted to I wanted to see if I could achieve that. You know, it's a very difficult course. And for a lot of the time, um, I didn't think I was going to pass. You know, I just thought mm. this is going to be a great experience. Um, and then I, I did, you know, and I think the universe and fate has its way of pushing you down a down a route. I believe that. Um, we we then went to Afghanistan in 2006 as a six man sniper team. We went before it all really kicked off, to be honest. 
Um, mm. You know, there wasn't really a lot to talk about in what we did. But uh, in terms of being away, it really taught me a lot about life. You know, when I looked at a lot of the Afghan, the way that Afghan was over there, the people over there, like there were some of the nicest people that we ever met. And I like, you know, obviously with everything that's happening over there at the minute, you know, yeah, my heart goes a out relevant to, conversation. Yeah, it, 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 it's terrible to like see everything that's going on out there. But like the people are just like genuinely, they, they love you. They, they almost just worship you being, being there. Um, and it was real. It was just a real life humbling experience being over mm. there. Um, it taught me to value life a lot more. It taught me to value my family a lot more. You know, my 16 year old daughter was only seven months at the time, you know, like it's, it's like, it's mental. And I, and I think it's like 15 years ago I was there and I used to have my tally about when I was getting home. It also made me like doubt whether I wanted to, to do it anymore because I didn't like, that was my first, that was my first experience about being away from my family for, for a long time. And, uh, that, you know, I, when I joined the Corps, I didn't have a family. I just had me and, and, and my girlfriend. When I left the mm. Corps, I was a dad of two and married. Do you know what I mean? And I think kids, kids do change, you know, even when you're talking about hardships, it's not necessarily about anything that happened there. It's more about being away from the family unit. Cause you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all in family. Like that, that's my purpose. Yeah. That's my, that's my identity. And, I think that's when I started to realise it. I was still a young man at the time. You know, you know, mm. I was still like mid twenties. Like we talked about those things, those things happening. You know, that was a tough time. Well, when we when we talk about when we talk about the military and we talk about war and we talk about combat, uh, very often we talk about PTSD. Mm. Yeah, something something you experienced yourself, James. I, I think yes, when I left, but nothing. Nothing to do with anything that I saw or experienced. Okay. Um, and I think I've, I touched on this briefly. I think the trauma of the change of lifestyle was like immense on me. Um, and I didn't expect it. So I left the military on the Friday and I started working on the college on the Monday. <laughs> and that like a 48 hour period is like, wow. I was still like Sergeant James Baldwin for, for a year and a half. Like my identity, my character, but yeah, I was in this mm, completely mm. different environment, right? Different rules. Like money, like I took a I took a seventeen thousand pound a year pay cut to come home, um, from a sergeant's pay cut, you know, and we were like suddenly wrapped into stress, financial, you know. But I was home, you know, that was the main thing. But mm. I, this is the irony: a month after coming out, I went. I said to Kate, who was my ex-wife, and I said, um, I've, I've, "I've got to go back in." Like I, you know this is not working out for me. I don't want to be here. And she supported that decision. So we went back to the careers office at the end of October. It was the half term. And um, I had the backing of everybody uh, that I told. And I went in and I spoke to the careers office, who was the chief petty officer in there in the Navy. And he said, yep. And, and I had been talking to my um, my branch sponsor, PTI branch sponsor. He was like, we want you back 100%. So it was all there. And I, all I had to do was go in and sign for my medical form. So I went in, signed for my medical, my medical forms to be released. And it was looking likely that I'd go back in December. Three, week went, three weeks went past and I didn't hear anything. And so I phoned and the guy who dealt with my medical forms, he, um, he had left <laughs> and the other guy said I don't know anything about this like I've got no idea so I explained the situation said right that's fine 
I'll get your medical form sorted, come in and sign them. Um, I'll phone you when it's, when it's time to come in. I never got that phone call. We ended up getting to December and I went, it's not meant to be like, this is like something Mm -hmm. is telling me it's not meant to be. And at that point, that's, I, I think around after two months, I started to notice my personality changing. Um, I started to notice um, uh, an overwhelming feeling of being lost, like like completely conflicted by trying to be the new the, the James civilian James Boardman and the Sergeant James Boardman, like and and, and this conflict mm. creating trauma, like beyond belief. I was getting cold sores, like like loads like you know for six months I was getting cold sores I was becoming ill um I was putting on weight I was feeling stressed uh, I was I was anxious to go into work I was anxious about taking lessons of the kids self-doubt myself I was falling into depression um and then over, over a period of time you know I was starting to learn what was going on you know and and the, the college kindly paid for a couple of counseling sessions but I just didn't really go on with the guy. And that's when he approached mm. me. I think you might have PTSD. And when I, I didn't even know what that was, mate. Like, you know, mm. she's mental, right? I think that's where the military did fall down. It's not teaching you about like the possibilities of like none of this. I just thought, mm. easy, walk straight into civvy world, bang, I'm mm. sorted. Um, and I think that's where it struggled for me. And that's where the trauma of it all started. And it all come to a head, got divorced, sat one night on the edge of the bed, loads of fucking pills that um with and a battle of, bottle of jack daniels and i was just like i'm gonna take all this in the hope of just fucking like taking myself out here and um it was, it was really weird and i was just looking sitting on the edge of my bed and it was quite it's quite a, a dark scenario or scene and because i had no lampshade on and it was cold and i was just looking at the picture of my kids i was going how, like how could i let them down so bad and yet i'm about to let them down even more now because they're gonna grow up mm without a dad and I was like what are you doing so I got my trainers on and I went out and I just wanted to get out of the house and I ended up going for a three-hour walk slash run and I was a little bit overweight at the time a little bit unfit and I just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and I laughed and I was just um, reflecting over and over and over and over again everything that happened and I was like right fuck it I'm gonna straighten myself out I like in my head um I'm a Royal Marine. I've got the ethos. I've got the strength of mind. I've just got to. Re- I've got to reconnect with a new version of myself, um, and, I've, and I've got to utilise some of that mental strength that I've had before. So I went back, poured the whiskey down a drain, threw all of the tablets away, um, and rebuilt my life in that moment. You know, ev- everything was uh, like. I think three months later, I was um, out of college after a dispute with them. Um, so. Winning that, winning that, but there's no way I could have stayed in that job. So, you know, um, we I was earning six hundred pound a month. Our outgoings were like two and a half grand to keep the house and everything else. And I was like, I'm in trouble. Uh, and I worked, my, actually, you know, I worked sixteen hour days. Like I was just like learning on YouTube. Like when they mm. with me, I'd be with the kids. When they weren't, I I would be working. You know, I, I only put the heating on in the winter when they were around. I only bought them food. I lived off Tesco value food for like six months to keep costs down. And 
and we then stopped. So this, this was you as a single dad? This is me. Uh, it's me. This is me. Yeah. yeah, no, there was no one else in my life at the time, so it was just me. And, um, you know, as I, I, I suddenly refound purpose in this business, like in this first year, and, and this was the turning point in terms, I think, you know, I never really had any treatment for PTSD. I think I kind of treated myself in some respect that mm-hmm. um, I, even though I didn't know how to, what I had found is a brand new purpose in setting up this boot camp, right? And uh, a purpose to provide for my two children, a purpose to provide for me, a purpose to provide for my clients. And I was starting to help people. I was starting to love that feeling. I was starting to make new friends. You know, I'd been away for like eight, nine years, so I had really no, not many friends at all, right? And everyone hated me because I was the one that left the marriage, obviously. So, you know, mm. it was a difficult situation, but I was starting to meet new people. Um, so I met Jen, um, you know, and she she helped me. She's helped me become over the years the man I am today. You know, she kept me grounded. She She's just been a, a shining star. She stuck with me through it all. And, you know, I'm not saying that I don't struggle with mental health anymore because I still have wobbles. Mm. I think mm. we'll, we'll always have wobbles. Good job being human, James. <laughs> 100%, right? And I, but I think the difference here is that like, like we work out and condition ourselves in the gym, our bodies become stronger. I work on mm. myself all of the time. So the way that I process stuff is just that my force field is a lot stronger than it used to be. So I can withstand a lot more. And that's how I visualize it. It's this huge force field, or if you like, it's the pillar. It's like a, a fortress. And each time I work on myself, that fortress gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So all the things that used to bother me or niggle me or like affect my mental health, they just rebound off me. So I can get it, process it, and just go right fucking you know i don't need to deal with that that's something i don't need to deal with so there's not really a lot that bothers me but i still have self-doubts i still feel vulnerable i still feel insecure sometimes but i can bring it back a lot quicker because yeah yeah my brain's conditioned to do that now whereas back Mm. then it didn't know what was going on so ptsd is definitely something i've gone through and i you know and i recognize it with guys as well and i always believe the way out of ptsd is to have something is to have a mission like you know our slogan is remember the mission and um the mission is is the path is the yellow brick road is the process to going from whatever state or position you're in at this moment to going to a place that is going to build character build purpose build fulfillment um even if it's just one percent win a day even if it's just small steps it's still moving you in the right direction. And I think that when we have consistency of action, control of our time and our energy and clarity of knowing where we're going and how we're going to get there, we suddenly can start to heal ourselves and start moving forwards in that direction. Mm. And and that's what we're trying to do, I guess. Mm. You know, that, that, that answer came off the back of asking about the PTSD from Afghanistan and stuff, James, but it seems that, Adjusting back to the real world mm. was the real stressor for you. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, mm. it's, it's, if you haven't been in the military, it's very difficult. And it's not just the military, man. It's um, police, fire service, mm. service, mm. Um, paramedics. It's it's anyone that's been in any job for a, a large amount of time, and then suddenly your life changes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you could have been yeah. in a corporate job for twenty years, where all you knew was sales mm. or trades or, mm. or anything like that, and then all of a sudden. That's gone. Footballers, mm. you know, mm. they get paid loads of money. 
But look how many of them are struggling with mental health. How many finish at 38 years old and have been, in, been doing it since they were eight years old? And now what? Mm. Like, now what? And I know they've got a lot of money. I know that, like, you know, it, it's just there. But it's still, like, when you're not showing up. Well, we all know it. Money doesn't buy you happiness. It doesn't. We know that. Otherwise, any, anyone that on such and such a salary would be the happiest persons in the 100%. world. And people in poorer countries couldn't possibly be happy. 100%. And, uh, you know, some of the most happiest people I ever see are the people that have nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when I when I often look at people and, like, they don't have a lot of, they don't have a lot of money or anything like that, what they have is... Their identity, they they know what mm. they want out. They have their family. They recognise the things yeah. that are important. Um, but yeah, I think uh, you know it's it's any transition. I feel I feel like any transition that we go through life, we, we open ourselves to to that trauma of lifestyle change. Right? I think it's, mm. it's a big thing. I don't think we recognize. Like, mm. look, look at COVID. Two, what coming up to two year, year and a half, right? And I think by the time we, I think by the time the world completely resets, it's almost going to be two years, right? But, but and it's you know, it's a tough two years for a lot of people mm-hmm. for for everyone. Yeah. I don't I, I, like if anyone that says they haven't struggled over the last two years is full of shit. Mm. Like, mm. like 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 to the you know to young kids to twenty year olds to mums to grandparents to everyone. The whole way of life has completely been disrupted. We've all gone through a transition period and it's all created a character, an identity or something that has affected mm-hmm. us and the family. What was it like for you to become a father, having grown up pretty much without one? What, yeah. what was that experience like for you? You never realise um, just how majestic it is until you hear the first scream of your first kid. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and you're like, holy shit. What have I let myself in for? <laughs> Just remember this camera. <laughs> because, like, um, you know, I was 27 and uh, I thought, you know, um, I thought I was ready for a kid. Um, I'm not sure if I was. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I can't, you know, the, the, being able to cradle like this little human being the size of my forearm um, for mm-hmm. me was incredible. And, I, I am a two different type of generation father, right? I've got a 14 year old and a 16 year old who, you know, mm. who are grown up. We went to Orton Towers on Tuesday and we were bantering with each other, taking the piss out of each other, just having a, mm. like this, just like what we're doing here now with Cameron and you. And it, it was just mm. a banter. It's like an adult conversation. Mm. You're like, yeah, wow, yeah. oh my God. And then on the other hand, I've got a five week year old who is just looking at me, projectile vomiting and <laughs> shitting everywhere. And then so Cameron, you're gonna have to wipe your dad's ass when he's older. Like I've, told, <laughs> I've already had to pre warm I'm, I'm trying to get him to do it now just in preparation. <laughs> With all the shit I'm an got a bad back, I can't I can't reach. With all the shit he talked about, he'd be lucky I don't put him in a home in ten years. <laughs> but Karen, if you put them in a home, mate, you're going to start losing equity in your like in your uh, money. Right? So don't. Lose that. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, it's good fun like that and that banter that I think mm. you know I, I feel immensely proud of my two. She just got um, six out of her seven. She got all her GCSEs, but six of them seeing above, and you know that's amazing. And then I've got the four year old who is growing up mm. so beautiful, and I think to myself, I'm so. I know I joke and go, oh my God, I didn't expect to have kids at this age now. But when I look at my big two, like Angelina's going to university in two years, 
Bailey's going to college in at university in four years. You know, we've got plans to travel the world in four years. And I've always said, like me and the girls, I'm just going to do a bit of a trip for six months. Oh. And But what I have in my two young ones is more purpose and more character building. Because mm. what I often see is that when a lot of people see their kids fly the nest and they go, you're kind of like, it's another now what? Mm. So I look at this when I'm 50. Yeah, yeah. When I'm 50, I'm going to have an eight-year-old. Okay, and I'm going to have a 12-year-old. My hands are going to be full. I'm going to be still full, full of life and still full of energy. And I, and I look forward to that journey. And I think the journey of fatherhood is just, it's just, it's just amazing to watch your kids go through mm. and, eat and, and evolve, you know, through nati- the nativity plays, through their first readings, through their first sports day, doing the dad's race to then going to secondary school, going through the emotions, talking about relationships, talking about sex, talking about marriage, money. And then suddenly, you know, you're bantering with them, calling each other a dickhead. Oh, and towels. And you're kind of like, (laughs) this is just incredible. And I really hope this prolongs throughout. What was the hardest thing about becoming a parent for you, James? Um, The kids becoming teenagers. There's, there's no two ways about it. Um, like mm. my my daughter, my daughter delayed had an online on uh, so delayed onset of trauma from the split from being seven, um, and there was a lot of hate there towards me for leaving. Um, and mm. um, you know, there was a lot of nastiness there, and it just like in terms of testing me as a parent, it's like been really challenging. It's really hard. I, I don't know if you found it, and I'm sure other dads do, but like when you go from like zero to eleven, okay, it's all kind. Of, oh, I love you, dad. Dad, I love you. And then kind of like yeah, as soon as they yeah. kind of get into that teenage state, I'm trying to learn how to now communicate with a fourteen and sixteen year old when in my yeah. head they're still seven and five. Mm. Mm. And, and it's like I don't want to I don't want to patronize them I don't want them to feel disrespected and, I, and I, I'm trying to get the balance right how do I discipline this how do I approach this and I think the evolution like, I reckon I'm going to nail it with the, with the girls because I've had that experience whereas Jemima hasn't so yeah. there's going to be two different mindset concepts right and I but I just I, I always say I've, I've a five, I have a five year old James and I always say uh, talk about on the podcast I got to do over mm. You know, I got to I got to go off and become a therapist and do a master's in child and adolescent psychotherapy, and I've got the experience of raising Cameron, and then I've got, you know, coming in was like, okay, now this is a totally different experience. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's it's just like I don't think anything can prepare you for those teenage years, like, and mm-hmm. and like you're only used to love and holding hands and cuddles and stuff, and like suddenly you know that's, that's the good stuff. It's the good stuff. That. But then I learned from experience from lads that were in my mastermind because they turn around and say they always come back to you. Like, you know, they kind of go through yeah. that period of 16 to 18 to 19, and then they come back and they just want to be around you all the time, and you're trying to take mm. in to piss off. <laughs> it's just not. <laughs> <laughs> um, how old are you, James? Is, I'm 22. 22. Yeah. James, not uh, sniper, coach. Blah blah blah, etc. 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 And author. If you could tell us a little bit about your book and a little bit about what you do now. Yeah, of course. Um so the book I brought out in twenty seventeen, it's called It's a State of Mind. Um the book really identifies the basics that I think a guy needs in terms of bringing himself out of that place, you know, that trench, that rut, whatever you want to call it, however you identify it with it. 
Um, the idea is to kind of go from a stop existing experience to kind of like, I need to live a little bit more mm. here. I need to regain the controls. Um, and I'm really excited that our follow-up book is actually, we're on the start. I've written it, it's finished. Um, mm. And um, we're about to launch it in six to eight weeks. Um, I'm not going to give anything else away on it, but it, it, look out for it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're going to go and check out it's the State of Mind book, there's like 400 and... 60 odd reviews on there as well like you know you always get the mm. old dickhead who's run who, who's read two pages and go this is not for me there's like i'm just yeah, like, how yeah. can you tell that after two pages mm. um <laughs> but you you're always going to get negative you know i i, I accept mm. that there's all it's never going to please everybody but the you know the book is a is, is a it's been really well received um more than i could have ever ever hoped for you know um, the feedback I get off it is, is, is incredible. And a lot of people use it as a daily reference, you know, to kind of bring themselves back up. So um, that's great. What I, what I kind of do now um, for the man coach is we run a five day challenge. Um, our next one actually is on 30th of um, August and it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. And over five days, we work on five key pillars or takeaways from the book. And we put them into a practical uh, environment. And I think, great reading a book right but like how often do we action a book so Mm. this is a great way to action the book we talk about self-awareness health Mm. priorities morning routine and forward thinking and the idea is to take somebody from a four out of ten to a six out of ten okay show them the path show them show them the blueprint help them understand themselves feel better about themselves feel better about the where they are okay so they don't feel like they're beating themselves up all the time. You know, we, we can only achieve in so much in five days. And then halfway through it, I offer the lads an opportunity to join our 28-day program. And our 28-day program has helped thousands and thousands of guys build structure, you know, you, you, mm. and build a life, you know. And many of them come into the mastermind. We we have some workshops. I've, um, I've, I've taken a plunge as my mentor keeps getting me to want to do a huge seminar. So we're doing one on the 27th of November. We're hoping to get like a hundred blokes in there, maybe more, who knows? Um, and see if we can fill that up and have a great day's worth of training and motivation and stuff. And next year we're going to be looking to do some things, um, some day fitness things like called it battle ready. It's kind of like, um, you know, like the Navy SEALs, like buds, that mm. type of thing. So it's kind of like, it's going to be like a 12 hour session, like stopping and start a bit, but just putting people under mm. mental and emotional mm. pressure, physical pressure mm. to make them realize what they've got in their tank. Because what I feel is when you put them through an experience like that, they suddenly take that into real life and go, if I can achieve that, I can get through yeah. this yeah. and it built. And that's what we did in Marines, right? You, you train hard, you fight easy. You get put through rigorous training <laughs> for 32 weeks so that when you do go to Afghan or that when you are approached with difficult situations in life, you can handle it better because you remember your training. And I think that's, you know, I'm trying to do a little bit more face to face value stuff mm. Um, mm. because I want to meet more people as well. Mm. So you get them in for a little bit of foreplay with the five day leave them with blue balls and then get them in for the mastermind program. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. They, they T- tickle them and go, okay, no, I got you. Expert marketing strategy. Welcome to my world. It's, it's, I think it's really important. You know, a lot of the guys can go and do the five days and a lot of them actually make big changes off the five mm. day. Right. Mm. I think I always look at 28 days, just an opportunity for those guys that want to get to that next level. And then the mastermind, the mastermind's about making it 
a lifestyle. It's the rewiring. Yeah, it's like, you know, yeah, yeah. I, for me, I truly believe it. I think it takes a year to change, like to rewire. Mm. Um, mm. That's a year of wins, failures, confusion, confliction, coming off it, coming on it. And you do the whole full circle. And it usually takes, having worked with guys now for a long time, 365 days before. Before it's like second nature, yeah. I've got it. Just non-negotiable, yeah, yeah. you know, it's non-negotiable. Um, and, and, you know, the, the two rules I always have to people working with me is, number one, they have to show the fuck up every day. Just 1% a day, just small step, mm. and then meet me and the team halfway. And, you know, if, if you do that, you can't go wrong. But um, it still baffles me, mate, that people don't show up. <laughs> like, honestly, yeah, it yeah. fucking baffles me. As I say to clients, your your intention is at odds with your behavior. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely right. And I'm just like, but you can't help somebody that doesn't want to be helped. Like, yeah. you, you know, yeah. I, I used to, yeah. we talk about energy and I used to be like, are we there? Are we going? Come on, come on, come on. Let's go, let's go. Yeah. Trying to give him everything you can. But if this is not fucking ready or not in the zone, you know, you can't force it. James, for people who want to get in touch with you or they want to hear more from you, uh, how, how can they do so? Um, so email is the best way. Uh, my email is me, me at boardmanjames.com. Just drop me an email. I always respond. I only spend 20 minutes a day on my email or coming back to people. So mm. like, be patient. I will always get back to you. Um, Facebook is at The Man Coach. I run a Rise to Thrive show at 5.30 in the morning from um, 5.30 to about 5.40. That's Monday, Wednesday and Friday. You can get hold of me on Instagram as well at the man coach. You can follow the stories and everything else in the background. Um, we've got a podcast, which is it's a state of mind podcast on Spotify, Podbean, and iTunes. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff going up on there as well. I think that's probably about that's probably the main that's probably the main ways to get hold of me. Hundred percent for sure. Great. And that was straight talking men's mental health. We hope you liked what you heard, and if so, give us a five star rating on iTunes if that's where you listen. Subscribe, leave a comment. Or if you think someone you know would benefit from this podcast, by all means, share it with them. We always talk about how difficult it is to share the podcast on social media. So anything you can do to give us a hand, we'd greatly appreciate it. We'd love to hear from you. And if there's any way, anything you'd like us to cover or like to email us, you can do so by emailing hello at stmhpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at STR8TalkingPod. That's the number eight, STR8TalkingPod. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Straight Talking Mental Health. Big shout out to Fiona Bryan for the podcast music. He's an amazing producer and beat maker. Catch him on Facebook at FOB Beats. If you're a singer or rapper or whatever, he'll look after you. We'll jump to James now for the last word. Thanks very much, folks. And as always, look after yourself and look after each other. James Boardman, the man coach. Thank you so much for being such an amazing guest. One of the things we do on the podcast, James, is we ask every guest that comes on to offer some words of wisdom, some life lesson learned, some philosophy, some motto that has got them through life that they would pass on to, to all of the listeners. So we'd invite you to step up and maybe share some words of wisdom from yourself yeah, sure, yeah. advice that you could give to our listeners. Okay. I, I, the irony is, is that on Monday on my Rise to Thrive show on Facebook, I talked about what would your biggest three life lessons be from your life experience right now. So I'll give you them very briefly. Um, mm. In no particular order, number one, Never compare yourself to anybody else um, mm. because you'll only be the best version of that person. Mm. And the person that you are comparing yourself to is probably not as authentic as you think they are. There's always behind mm. every, and, and this is why I share my truth, good and bad, because I don't want people to go around looking at me like, James Ball, he's fucking got it squared away. He's got it squared, because I don't. You know, mm. 90% of the time I do, 10% of the time, 
you know, the stuff there. So never, ever compare yourself. Number two, never worry about what anyone else thinks of you, ever. Um, do what you want to do. Don't worry. People that would judge you, you'll lose them out of your life. You, you don't need those people in your life. And if you're worried about what everyone does, you'll never really reach your full potential in terms of reaching the highest heights that you want. And then probably the third, probably the most important one for me, um, was this, is always a statement my mum always used to say, and that's fail forwards. F- fail, failure is, is not a negative thing. Failure is an essential part of living. And if you're not failing, you are failing, if that makes mm. sense. If you're not failing, you yeah. are failing. Yeah. Failing is experience. Mm. Failure is learning. And failure is understanding yourself. You know, failure is a win. And, and, and that's the thing to understand. Yeah. And we have a, I have a motto and it's kind of like fair, uh, learn, grow, repeat, learn, grow, repeat. And that very much defines failure for mm. me. Um, mm. So there would be my three life lessons moving forward. Mental health. Mental health. Mental health.